And if you, you move one way, you can be very successful. And if you go the other way, you can have lots of problems. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. And... First thing I'm going to ask you is, you liking this? Awesome. Download the past three episodes because you're going to like those too. And share them with three friends because that's the only way that we grow. We don't take on sponsors. We don't advertise. The only way we help more people is if you help more people by sharing this out to at least three people today. Now, my guest is author of two Amazon bestsellers. The first one is What About the Vermin Problem, which apparently it's about rats, but not about rats, so we're gonna find that out. Influences and Influencers, he's a speaker, professor, business consultant, middle and executive management. Peter Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick, glad to be here. Man, I, I was looking at your title there, you know, and it's like, hey, is, is this about rats, right? And the influences and influencers, that's pretty self-explanatory, which is pretty awesome. But tell me about this. Is this a metaphorical thing for you? The book itself or? Yeah, sure. Dive into it. Um, uh, open in your book, way, Peter. Open your book today. Let's go. Open my book today. Um, well, I wanted a catchy title. I think I got people's attention with that because they certainly asked me a lot about that, whether it deals with extermination. And it wasn't intended to be that. Um, it was just one of the segments that really uh, got my attention about dealing with other people. Uh, and that particular instance uh, dealt with communication yeah. or a lack of communication, uh, where at the end of a project I was hit with, well, what about the vermin problem? Something that hadn't been discussed through the entire uh, entity of the project. So it, it just totally baffled my, myself and my colleague who was working with me. Um, so I thought it would be certainly interesting, and it is. Uh, like I said, it's gotten a lot of attention and questions, just like you. Is it about uh, rats and getting rid of rats? I hope not. It's about people. <laughs> <laughs> but you can all judge for yourselves whether you consider it rats or not. I, I certainly didn't consider them rats. Uh, just just a question. Interesting. All righty. So you've also been a consultant to middle and upper management, right? Middle and executive yes. management. Well, what, is, what is that about, man? Because I mean, I have very limited information about you in front of me right now. And I would love okay. you because you were an executive at Crayola as well. That I know, right? Yes. So well, where did this consultancy start? You know, what, what? Well, it really started through the actual work I was doing when, when working for corporations like Crayola. Um, there was a lot of internal project work that was going on, uh, and uh, I was essentially an internal consultant to the company, uh, looking at making changes to things. And that's what projects are all about, and, and consulting is all about, is looking to make changes for improvement. So when I left the corporate world, if you want to call it that, not working directly for a corporation, but with corporations... Uh, it seemed natural to get into the consulting world and, and helping other organizations through the experience and the knowledge that I had gained. Uh, I felt that uh, I knew enough and, and could help people enough to do that because I had the opportunity to do it coming right out of college. I could have worked for Price Waterhouse, but I didn't feel that I was 
worldly enough, uh, knowledgeable enough to tell people 20 years or 30 years my senior what they were doing wrong and how to do it better. Uh, but certainly after having about 20 years of experience in the corporate world, I, I certainly had that confidence and, and felt that I had the ability to do that. Uh, and I not just worked with middle and upper management, but I worked with a lot of the, um, you might call them lower, but really the workers, the, the people who do things every day. Uh, and I actually found them a lot more interesting and fascinating than the executives because they really knew what they were doing and talking about. <laughs> executives kind of had lost it somewhere along the line. Hey, now. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just the way it goes, I guess, unfortunately. Hazard of the trade. Yeah. you're. Uh, was that true for you, though? Because, I mean, you were an exec at Crayola. Did you see yourself losing touch? No. And in fact, I would get criticized for that by some of the other executives who would say, you're too involved, you're too much into the details. But I thought to myself, well, how do you make decisions? How do you really understand what's going on so you can direct people about what to do if you don't know the details? Uh, and I, I didn't try to micromanage or, or get too much into it where I was doing other people's jobs, but just from my own edification so that I could help uh, to, to better direct my folks and, and determine the courses we were going to take. And they certainly appreciated it, too, because when we could sit down, we could have a real conversation. I wasn't giving them you know, the blather, if that's what you want to call it, uh, the, the executive speak, uh, you know, with all the generalities and so forth. We talk details. We talk details. And, and uh, I was able to provide some good information to them. And they certainly provided great information to me that helped me with my job. Good. You mentioned something a little bit ago that you had difficulty at one point giving direction or, or consultant, consultancy to those 20 and 30 years your senior. You know, and mm -hmm. I remember it was maybe 10 years ago. So I was 30 years old, 30-ish, right? And there was a client of mine who was in his early 60s. And he called me up and he's like, Rick, you know, and this floored me, man. He goes, Rick, ever since my dad passed 10 years ago, I haven't really had anybody to bounce ideas off. And you seem like somebody that really understands marketing. And mind you, at this point, I was right at the start of my company, which was an IT support and cybersecurity company, because that's only 11 years, 12 years old now. So it was towards the beginning. And he's like, you really seem to have a handle on marketing and sales. Would you mind if I bounce some ideas off of you? And I was floored, man, because here was somebody that was 30 years my senior that just recognized that he could even learn something from me. Uh, being that young whippersnapper, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. th that was part of the thing because it, it was interesting. I, I didn't decline it, you know, but at the same time, there was the question in my head of why me, which is probably something similar to what you were maybe going through. But how did you break that mental limitation, which I think I really placed on myself? I don't know if you share the same perspective or not. Well, to me, if you don't stay involved in, in what's going on, it gets boring. Um, to, to, I saw too many executives who just kind of wandered the halls and, and didn't really have a heck of a lot to do and sat in meetings and it was like, I, I would get bored. I, I get bored very easily. So to, to stay involved to understand what's going on and there's always new things happening. So, um, to try and get complacent or, or to try to do the same thing over and over again for year after year after year, to me, it's just, 
it's marching in place or falling behind what's going on. So you've got to know what's, what's happening so that you can stay up with the technology. So again, you can make good decisions going forward. Otherwise you're, you're just either marching in place or looking in the past. And that's a disaster for any organization. How did you gain that confidence though, to be able to give advice to those who are 20, 30 years, your senior? Um, We just established relationships. I listened to them and then I played back to them what I had heard. And then I talked about ideas and how we could move forward. So we we would go back and forth about it. And it was a very comfortable relationship. It wasn't me coming in uh, and just telling them what to do as though I was the expert and I had all the answers. I didn't. So I really listened a lot. And I think people appreciate that. Uh, And I don't think that's done enough in, in, uh, in business. We say we are, but we don't. We, we listen, but we, we, we only do it to tell them what we wanted to tell them anyway. Uh, and there were times when I changed my ideas. You know, I would go into uh, a session with one thought in mind. By the time I got done, it might be uh, very much different than what I had thought based on what I heard because there was new information uh, that, that came forward. And I think you need to do that. You need to be flexible. If you're going to just stick to one yeah. thing and, and one thing only and not listen to other people, you're in for a long, hard ride. You really are. For sure. Was this some of the basis of your book, Influences and Influencers? Absolutely. Absolutely. And to this day, I still, you know, listen to people and, and pick up things and it changes my perspective on, sure. on certain things. And it has to because the world, like I said, is changing. And if you don't stay up with that, you know, you're 20 years in the past and it isn't going to cut it today. Some things do hold true over time, but other things don't. I mean, just look at in the last year with the pandemic and how we're, we're dealing with that and, and, and trying to, to, to deal with uh, what's going on in the world. We hadn't been thinking about that up to that point. And it's, it's changed things quite a bit in how we operate and how business operates. Yeah, you bet. Well, you've worked with, I think it's what, over 300 plus companies, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge resume, man. That's amazing. And what have you noticed, you know, outside of not staying up at the times and some of the things that you've seen as one of the biggest inconsistencies within these organizations, you know, that make them inefficient, ineffective, unproductive, or unprofitable? Well, one of the things, like I said, is people who think that they've got it locked, that they know the way to do it, they've always done it that way, they're going to continue. They're very reluctant to change. But yet they realize that if they keep doing the same thing over and over again, they're not going to get any better. So why they're reluctant to change, I don't know. I guess it's just human nature that we kind of get stuck in whatever we're doing or comfortable and it's tough for us to change. But the other thing is commitment. Um, people tell you that they want to do things differently, but when you get down to it and you're kind of at that point where you've got to make the, 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 the changes that are necessary or do the things that might be a little bit uncomfortable, they back off. They're not really committed to doing it. They tell you one thing, they do something else. And, and my motto, and you can ask my children this because they, they got tired of hearing it growing up is, you know, kids tell you that whatever they think you want to hear, and then they go and do something different. And I would always say to them, don't tell me, show me. And after a while, I didn't even have to say it. I would go and they go, I know, don't tell me, show me. Well, it's the same thing with business. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Don't tell me what you're thinking. Show me, do it. Okay. Uh, and I see a lot of the, the ones that, that do it and do it well, they succeed. The ones that don't, 
they struggle. They struggle and sometimes they, they cause disasters. The company folds because of that. For sure, my man. You talk about project managers and their importance too, right? Why are, yes. why are they so important to what you teach? Good project managers. Good pro- there are a lot of project, project managers, managers out good there. Good project managers. Oh, good Lord, yes. Good project <laughs> Did managers. Did I strike a nerve, Peter? <laughs> uh, a little bit, yeah. a little bit. And that's, again, why I got into teaching, to, to try to, uh, to, to help people and to, to, to move things along, because I've seen some really bad project managers. Either they don't know what they're doing or they, they try to micromanage people. You know, they've, they've got to be in on every detail. And again, like I said, I wanted to know what was going on, but I didn't want to be a part of it necessarily. It was so that when people came to me with questions or, or discussions or whatever, I could talk intelligently about it. But good project managers <clears throat> put their teams together and then they let them function. Their job is to make sure that the team, it's kind of like the orchestra leader. He doesn't play an instrument. He probably could, uh, but he doesn't. But he's there to make sure that everybody hits the right notes at the right time and that things are coordinated and that. Could an orchestra work without an orchestra leader? Probably, but I don't think it would sound as good. You notice that every great orchestra has a, a, a leader in front of it. Well, the same is true with projects. If you want a good, successful project, you need a good person who's leading it. They provide the vision. They make sure that the team understands what they need to do. Each person knows what he or she needs to do. And then they work with them to make sure that the things are getting done. And they're the ones that kind of remove the roadblocks, the the obstacles get in people's way. Because usually people are not just working on one thing, that project. They're working on multiple things and they've got to juggle that. So the the manager has to be there and recognize it and and, and how to make those things happen. And and when something gets in the way, they've got to remove that roadblock from the the team or the team member uh, to make sure that things are happening. And they they've got to remind people. We're all human. We all, you know, sometimes we take things for granted or we don't do what we should do when we should do it. And they're there to remind them. I call them PETAs, Project PETAs. And you know what a PETA is. <laughs> okay, a lot of people do. Um, in fact, I did that to my class and they were like, so now they, they call it kind PETAs. So, so I said, fine, whatever you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, whoa, my professor's yeah. a real human being. Look at that. There you no. go. He's relatable. We're uh-huh. going to keep hitting this nerve, Peter, because you know, okay. you're like, good project managers. I'm like, what makes a bad project manager? Um, they don't communicate well, all right? They do not. When things change, they don't tell people on a timely basis. They hide bad news. They, um, <clears throat> they don't help their people to succeed. They expect them to. Uh, and when there's a difficulty, they just, I, I had a, a boss like that. He said, well, that's what I pay you for. He says, what are you coming to me with any of your problems for? Well, that's what the boss is there for. There's somebody that you can bounce it off of and, 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 and can help you to get past it. And when you don't do that, when you just expect people to do whatever, what do they need a manager for? Um, <laughs> I mean, really, I, I had that. I literally said to the vice president at one point, why do we have this guy here? And he just kind of rolled his eyes and he says, well, it's your job to, to take care of him. And I said, well, what's his job then? I thought his job was to take care of me. 
So anyway, uh, there, there it's some very frustrating to me. McDonald's when I was working there when I was 16 that you know, late night and there was no manager. You know, it was, yes. uh, so they just found the only person just because, you know, whatever, understaffed on management, who cares? But they, <laughs> those were some fun nights without the manager. And I had some of the same thoughts, even as at 16 years old, because like the place didn't burn down. We still made the burgers, you know, and they just found somebody who I was 16, but they found somebody who was 18 to actually just set the alarm code and lock up. And that's all that was needed. You know, it's like, okay, so why do we have these bodies around here anyways? If we all know our jobs and they're, they're SOP down to a T to where it's like, I was really amazed because by the way, I learned a lot of lessons working for McDonald's too, and how consistent mm -hmm. everything is across the board from restaurant to mm -hmm. restaurant to restaurant. And I even apply those principles in what I do today in consistencies right. and procedures and operational efficiencies. So probably some of the biggest lessons, but yeah, there were, there were times late at night to where there just were no managers because it's 16. Hey dude, I'm, I'm closing, right? I'm the one that's, that's running the mop across the floor in, in the dining area. I'm the one that's cleaning the grill, you know, cause I'm the 16 year old, but you don't need a manager there for that. Why do they even exist <laughs> to take the complaints? There you go. To take, to take yeah. the complaints. And again, when a problem crops up to, to, to be there to help to take care of that. Uh, the employee is supposed to be doing her job, whatever that is, whether it's making the food or serving the food or whatever. And when something crops up, the machine breaks down. The manager is there to, to help to make sure that the machine is functioning again or if, uh, you know, the uh, the food items aren't uh, uh, available. Why not? And to make sure that they are. That's not the employee's job to do that. Theirs is to take the stuff that's given to them and, and then do something with it. So for sure, and it, you know, it didn't matter so much too because we're talking like the contrast between good and bad project managers, right? There were times to where there were really good managers at McDonald's that you would love them to be around you, but then when you knew that that person that wasn't there that was a bad manager that called in sick or whatever, you're like, see, we didn't need that person anyways. Yeah, one of the favorite people that I had and, and who I. I really respected was the basketball coach, John Wooden. And I would watch him coach games and he was motionless. Okay. Yeah. He didn't say anything, but you know, when he needed to, he'd bring his team in and, and he would give instructions. So they said to him one, one day, they said, you don't seem to, to do a lot yep. during the game. And he said, we do it all during practice. He said, and it's instilled in the players. He said, and if I've done my job, then they know what to do when the game takes place. Yep. If I have to tell them then I haven't done my job and they haven't listened very well. And I went, wow, that's powerful. That is really, really powerful. And it's true. No doubt. At that point, you know, it's the middle of the game and, and craziness is going on. And now you're going to tell them what to do. You've practiced it over and over and over and it's instilled in them. And that's what good managers do. Yep, right on. Now, are your books related in any ways? The first book and the second book? Uh, in a way. Uh, the first one was more about instances that I came across dealing with people and, and how they acted and reacted. So it wasn't so much an influence on me. It was more kind of a uh, an educational tool for people to say, you know, there's a fine line between success and non-success. And it depends on the decisions we make and the actions we take. Well, you mean you that's a, that's like a, there's a gray area there that exists? 
Absolutely. And a very fine line between the two. And if you, you move one way, you can be very successful. And if you go the other way, you can have lots of problems. So mine was to point out positives and negatives and say, but if you did it a little bit differently, you could have the completely opposite result. The second book, Influences Influencers, and that was only because the person I was working with on the first book told me, well, all authors write at least two books, if not more. And I went, oh, really? <laughs> I wasn't intending on that. So now I have Is to that come the up fine with line something. for a success between, with an author? I guess so. <laughs> like I said, I'm constantly learning. I, what well, did I know? Crap. I, I thought one book, you're book done. Out. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> She, and she's got a sneaky way. She's got me writing a third book without telling oh, me. I called that. her on it about two. Yeah. She's got me writing an article every month. And I said, you know, after 12 months, I'll have 12 articles and that's enough for a book. And you know that, don't you? She started laughing. So I said, but you're just not asking me because you, you don't dare ask me about the third look one. Look at so, the ethical manipulation there. I look at the ethical. But with influences and influencers, it got more personal. It got into the fact, again, that there are so many people in our lives that have an impact on our lives, whether we realize it or not. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't until after the fact, let's say. Um, and, uh, and there are things that happen in our lives, you know, experiences that we go through and, and, and so forth that, that, um, have an impact on us that that mold us and shape us so we say either yeah that's the way i want to act or god i never want to act like that again or i don't want to be like that person so if you put the two of them together again they're both learning experiences and i think the influences and influencers kind of bleeds over to the first one then which is the vermin problem and, and how we act and how we act is because of the experiences we've had, because of the people that we've dealt with, the people who have um, influenced us one way or the other, yeah. right from early childhood through our adult lives You're and, talking and about ongoing. the programming that gets wired into us neurologically. And then, and then we start mm -hmm. to project upon those we act, we interact with in the future. Because yes. of how we've been interacted with in the past, well, then it's like, well, everybody must be that way when it's not true, but it, it's just what we've been accustomed to. And somehow we actually try to find a way to make that true for us. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was working with one company and I got to meet the manager that I was working with and she introduced herself and she says, and I have no friends. I was stunned. She literally said, I have no friends. Well, that's not true. We all have friends, okay? It depends on who they Facebook are and how friends. we treat them. And, and yeah. <laughs> um, but I could see why, because she, again, was not one of the better managers that I've come across. And, and, and she didn't treat people well, including, you know, the consultants that she hired, me being one of them. So I could understand why she said she didn't have friends. Um, but it was kind of interesting. We all do have friends. And we have a lot of people who care about us. And are there to help us if we just allow them to. Um, so when you think that you don't have friends, that's not a good thing because there's probably more people on your side than you realize if you just allow them to help you and, and to guide you and, you know, to, to give you direction when you're, you're um, not doing things well. And that's what a true friend is there for. Not somebody that's going to pat you on the back and tell you everything's okay and you're doing everything fine and everything. It's the one who puts sits you aside and says, you know, Pete, you really screwed up and here's why. And 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 you need to you need to get over that. Those are the true friends. 
Um, and those are the good consultants too. They're the ones who don't go to the client and say, oh, everything is wonderful. You're so great. If everything is wonderful and you're so great, you don't need to be there. Okay. You don't need to be there because they don't need you. Okay. They don't need somebody to, to stroke their ego. They need somebody to tell them what they're doing wrong and how to fix it uh, and make it better. So, uh, so that's what influences and influencers is about. And it continues through your life. It just shouldn't stop. Okay. You know, some at 35, you don't all of a sudden say, okay, I get everything I need in life. I don't need anything else. You know, I've learned everything I'm going to learn. No, you're constantly learning. You're constantly observing. You're constantly dealing with people. And uh, new things are going to crop up. Yeah. It'll change uh, your opinion in one way or the other. Well, I'm 41. I must be really wise right now because I'm six years past 35. Absolutely. Yep. There you go. It's still going. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Your third book, dude, is this uh, is this something that has to do with the first two? Can we talk about it? What's it going to be about? Can you let out a little <laughs> secret? Come on now. Uh, well, if it turns out to be the uh, kind of overarching theme is what keeps you awake at night? And where I got that from is <clears throat> in dealing with companies and individuals and trying to find out what their problems were. Because they, they'd like to tell you, but in a lot of cases, you find out that's not the true instance. It, it's a symptom, but it's not really the problem. So what's a great opener is to say to somebody, so what keeps you awake at night? What bothers you so much that you lose sleep over it, that consume your, consumes your days where you don't get to do the things that you want to do, that you're not working on the things that are going to move you ahead because you're constantly firefighting. And I hate firefighting. I, I love days where there's no fires, okay? I, I, I'm a very calm person. And when there is, I want to put them out as quickly as possible and move on. And I think most people are like that. Uh, there are some that love that because they love the attention. They love all the excitement and all that stuff, but it doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, so if you can prevent fires from happening, problems from occurring, then um, so much the better. And there are lots of different things that, that keep us awake at night. Uh, you know, I had a couple of instances. In fact, I start the book talking about two instances that uh, that really impacted me uh, during my working mm -hmm. career thing. That, uh, that kept me awake at night, literally, uh, until they were resolved. So, um, so it's, it's writing about that. And again, I think through the books, the common element is that it's relatable to people, that they read it and they go, you know, I've been there before, or I've had that kind of experience, maybe not yeah. with the same person or the same company, but the same type of thing. So they're not alone. Okay, which is a good thing to, to reassure them that they're not some strange person that uh, everybody else uh, or at least other people have uh, issues like they do. Uh, and here's how to deal with it, or at least here's how I dealt with it. And, and hopefully you can learn from that and, and deal with it as well. Because, again, if you've got the experience, if you've got the knowledge, share it with people. Uh, that's, that's what it should be all about is sharing to, to help other people so that they succeed. I love to see other people succeed. That's one of the best things that happens For is sure to see is. other people. I appreciate you know, your perspective uh, on that, my man, because this is, uh, and I, yeah. And I hate it when they don't, I hate it when they resist and, and when they have continuing problems because of themselves and, and, and their own decision as to what to do or not to do. That bothers me to no end. Okay. Um, because I'm getting paid some decent dollars to help them and I yeah. want to see them succeed. I want to see them get their money's worth. 
Yep. Okay, uh, to me that's a blast uh, is to see uh, the, and, and not just succeed, but to succeed even beyond what they expected where they go, wow, I didn't just get my money's worth. I got whole lifetime's worth. I mean, that's just so cool. It's, it's the best thing there is about the job. I love it, my man. That's awesome. So I, I really appreciate everything you've said today, brother. And I know that everyone can find you at PeterChristianBooks.com, right? Pete Christian Books. Pete Christian no, Peter. Books. PeteChristianBooks.com. PeteChristianBooks.com. That's my website. I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can look me up on LinkedIn and I think you can find me. Just look for this gorgeous face. And, <laughs> and you too. Yes, exactly. And, and I uh, also have an email address, uh, which is PH Christian and the number 53. And that deals with my birth date year at gmail.com. So any one of those three, uh, each one, you can send me a message. If you want to talk, get together and, and discuss things, you know, you might have an issue that you would like to talk about or, or read something that I wrote and you've got an opinion on it. I'd love to hear feedback from people. Um, yeah. Cool. Get in touch with me. We can also find your books on Amazon, of course, because you're an Amazon bestseller. What about the Vernon problem and influences and influencers? Thank for you for speaking one, truth about I'm friends, sure too. Coming. Yeah, and the third <laughs> yeah. book that's going to be coming after you write your 12 articles, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there go. She's going to get me to get that third book out. I Sweet, can just feel man. it. Thank you so much for being on, Peter. Appreciate you. It was a blast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. 